get there ahead of me this morning. Thanks, guys. You know, I think everybody loves, or most everybody loves, a good party. A good celebration. Maybe it's for New Year's Eve and you like to stay up and ring in the New Year's with uh, your noisemakers or whatever your tradition is. Or a birthday. A birthday party is a great thing, at least when you're a kid. As we get older, maybe we don't enjoy them quite as much. But we love a, a great birthday party. I can remember many of my kids' birthday parties. And uh, you know, every birthday party had a theme. And there was the spy theme one year. And there was Madeline, like the 12 little girls in two straight lines. And uh, we did the little Madeline theme. And, and my favorite was the Hawaiian luau. We didn't, play, uh, we didn't play musical chairs. We played musical beach blankets, which, you know, watching kids run around to music and diving onto beach towels was, was great fun. But uh, we love a good party. Wedding receptions. Some of, some of my favorite parties that I've been to have been like wedding receptions for, for some of my family, like nieces and nephews. And uh, just the, the joy that comes at one of those parties. And then we also throw parties for like football games. My guess right now is that there's a pretty big party going on down at the Eastern Market right now, getting ready for the, uh, or for the uh, Lions football game. And I, was re- I say Notre Dame because uh, my background lived in South Bend, Indiana for so many years, which was Notre Dame country. And I remember the day when I finally had the realization I was walking into a game, and I was like, all these people were having their tailgate parties. I'm like, if they don't wrap this up pretty soon, they're going to miss the game. And then it dawned on me, they're not going to the game. They just came, parked at the stadium there, got out their coolers and their grills, and they were just having a party for the event. And maybe, you know, they'd listen to it on the radio or maybe hook up a TV somehow and watch the game, but they were there for the party. And parties are a big thing, and sometimes we see, you know, parties as a negative too. Talking about Notre Dame, one of the things they they didn't have there is they didn't have all the Greek houses, so they didn't have the fraternities and sororities and and they tried to really limit the amount of partying that escaped out into the community because they thought that was a bad, you know, image for the community. So the kids would throw parties in their dorms. But they would actually, they would, you know, they live in a little 15 by 15 room. And they would invite 60, 70 students to come to this party in their room. So they would actually empty out their room completely of all their furniture, desks, bunks, lofts. Everything went out. And they would have 70 or 80 people in these in these dorm rooms. Now, that doesn't sound like a party to me. Um, it just sounds like, a, you know, like a, a long time spent in an elevator, that, that same kind of effect there. But normally we like a, a good party because parties are about celebration. And parties are about setting aside the cares of the day and the things that weigh us down and, and just putting those on hold for a minute so that we can actually enjoy some things in life. Parties are about camaraderie. I mean, you don't really have a party by yourself unless it's a pity party. But we don't really have a party by ourselves. We always want other people to come and enjoy the moment with us. And we enjoy them in that moment. And of course, parties are about good food too. And all of us like to eat. And so we talk about the party a little bit because we're talking about this series that we're doing right now or this theme for the year, the table. And this series even right now called Everyone Eats. And so today we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, we're going to talk about a party, and it shows up in Matthew chapter 9. It's interesting to note that we're not the only ones who like a good party. 
it seems like Jesus enjoyed a good party too. In fact, we see him oftentimes sitting and eating and enjoying just the disciples, and I, there's a little bit of that sense that, you know, that, that, that was kind of a, a little bit of a, of a traveling um, group that from time to time, it was a party atmosphere. We see him at Zacchaeus' house enjoying a party. We see him at the, the wedding of Cana enjoying a party. And Jesus was actually somebody who enjoyed a party too. And so we're going to see him at a party here this morning in Matthew chapter 9. But let's just say that you have been drafted to host a party today. So it's your job to, to have the party. Well, the, the first thing is you've got to figure out the venue, right? Where are we going to do this party? And then we've got to figure out, well, is this party going to have a theme? If it's going to have a theme of some sort. And then we've got to sort out, okay, what is, you know, maybe this party is because of an event. So maybe it's a football game or maybe it's a birthday. And so we're going to sort out what the event is. And, and then the most important thing, though, is we've got to sort out who's invited to the party. Who's invited to the party? And that can be a little bit tricky, can't it? One of the, the, the favorite movies that our family likes to watch and is getting to be quite old now is The Father of the Bride with Steve Martin. And there's a scene in that movie when they're, they're planning the, the reception for the wedding and who they're going to invite to the wedding. And, uh, and they're going through this list and, you know, who, who not. And, and, and I still have in my mind Steve Martin or George Banks, whichever name you want to give him there. He says, Harry Kirby, didn't Harry Kirby die last year? Yes! Meaning he didn't have to invite him to the reception there, which is kind of like, you know, doesn't quite work. But uh, still have that in my mind there. But today we look at a story where Jesus wasn't responsible for the invite list. He just happened to be on the invite list. And so let's read about that here in Matthew chapter 9. This is a story that shows up in both Mark and in Luke as well. But this is a story about Matthew, so we're choosing to read this from Matthew's perspective because he's actually telling this story about himself and we're going to read, actually, from, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. Um, don't usually use a different translation, but if you've got that on your phone device and you want to switch over to the NLT, you can do that. But as we read through this story, I want you to notice six things. First of all, I want you to notice what Jesus saw. Then I want you to notice what Jesus said. Then I want you to notice what Matthew did. Then please notice what Jesus did, what the Pharisees asked, and then... Finally, what Jesus said, this time, not uh, to, to a different group of people. But let's read together. We're going to read through this whole story. It's not long. And then I want to go back and break it down as we look at those six ideas there. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people do not need a doctor, it's sick people who do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I love how this translation puts that last verse. 
For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So let's walk back through this story here and identify those six things that I mentioned there to start with. Verse number nine, reading that again, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. He saw a man. Now, you read this story in Mark. If you read this story in Luke, we see that he saw a tax collector. But in Matthew's account, Matthew says he saw a man. And I think that's really, really interesting because everybody else in the world probably saw Matthew as a tax collector. And, of course, tax collectors were, were known as being somewhat traitorous to the Jewish faith because they worked for the Roman government. And tax collectors were known for being dishonest because you went and paid your taxes, and then you paid a little bit more to the tax collector, whatever he could extort from you. And so they had a horrible situation. They were, they were disliked in the society, and so they were just grouped into a group as tax collectors. And, you know, we added them to this group over here that we called sinners. And they were really looked down on society. And so most people would have looked at Matthew and said, oh, he's just a tax collector and labeled him as that. But what does Matthew say? When Jesus looked at him, he said, he saw a man. He saw a man who, who wasn't just what he did. He saw a man who wasn't just his past. He saw a man who wasn't just the label that, that had been placed on him, whether earned or not. He saw a man who mattered. And Jesus looked past everything else to see a man, but he also saw a man with a name. And you know when we attach a name to somebody, that somebody becomes a person. And Matthew stopped being a face in the crowd, and he became a person. And we don't have any record that Jesus called him by name, but Jesus knew him by name. It wasn't that Jesus walked by Matthew sitting collecting taxes that day and thought, I wonder what that guy's name is. He would have walked by him and said, oh, there's Matthew. In fact, he turns and he looks at this man, not a tax collector, with a name, not a face in the crowd. And he invites him to do something. But he sees a man, he sees a man with a name, but he sees a man who also has a need. And it's a challenge to us in our world, too. We could take the first two things that we said here, and God sees you. He sees you with a, 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 with, with a name. And you could say he sees you with a need. But we could take this and apply this to ourselves because we are surrounded by people in our world who are people. They're not just their reputation or they're not just the sum total of the things that they've done in the past. And they're not just the way that they act and they're not just, you know, however they happen to, to purport and, and, and to conduct themselves. They're people who have names. And you are, and I, we are surrounded by people who have names. Names, and God knows every one of them, but names that hopefully we know as well. But they're people who have needs too. Now, I think some people probably would have just dismissed Matthew here in this story. Like, 
You know, why would Matthew want to be a Jesus follower? He's a tax collector. They're not really into the Jewish thing anyhow. And, and, and you know, Jesus is like about religion and all this. And they would have said, oh, he wouldn't be interested. I mean, he's kind of that, that kind of society. Why would he want Jesus? I mean, that's what he, or, and just dismissed him. Or might have even said, you know what? Why would Jesus want him? I mean, he's just kind of low life. In fact, the, 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 the New Living Translation here used the word scum. But Jesus didn't see him as that. Jesus saw him as a person with a name who had a need. And every single person that we run into in our stories has a need. Now, some people are really good at disguising them. And some people are really good at, you know, putting on the face in, in how they conduct themselves. And, and some people are really, like, walk with self-assurance and sometimes even arrogance to try to give the impression that they got it all figured out. But underneath all of that, they have a need. And you know how we know that? Because if you and I are honest... We have needs. And we spend a lot of times trying to cover that up so people don't see how needy we are. But if we're completely honest, we have needs. We need friendship. We need affirmation. We need love. We need even physically different things. But it teaches us this. We need to see people as people with names and with needs. And we need to get to know these people. And these people may live next door to us. These people may work on the same floor with us. These people may sit in the classroom with us. These people may sit next to us in the stands. These people are the ones who may uh, seat you and take your order and bring your meal. These Maybe the people that you run into often in life that drive you a little bit crazy. These may be the people that you walk into occasionally, and you just kind of don't even think about them. But we are surrounded with people who have needs and who have names, and we need to be paying attention. So when the rest of the world walked by a tax collector, and maybe turned up their nose or looked the other direction or just kind of blew that tax collector off, Jesus stopped and looked at somebody and said, hey, what? Follow me. And that's what the next thing we see here is what Jesus says. He says, follow me. Be my disciple. The idea was that Jesus was actually choosing him. It wasn't like they were playing a game of, you know, get in line and see where I go. When he said, follow me, he was acting as the rabbi, as the teacher. And the teacher of, that day, of those days would try to build a following. And so they would recruit the, 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 the best of the best and the prime candidates. And the teacher that you followed, that gave you, you know, some, some level of esteem. Because, you know, I follow this rabbi or this teacher. Ooh. But it also worked in the other direction, too. The rabbis were very careful in who they chose because that gave esteem to them, too. Oh, that's your follower? Ooh. And so what Jesus does as the teacher is he picks the one that nobody else would pick and says what? Follow me. Come be taught by me. Come learn from me. But it's interesting what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? Matthew, um, like... Give everything up, you know, change your ways, take a different path, 
you know, get a good, get a good shave, throw some cologne on, and then come follow me. He's just like, come on, I'll take you as you are. And that's the invitation that comes to all of us from Jesus Christ, is he looks at us with people with names, with needs, and he says, hey, come follow me. Just come follow me. And sometimes we make this whole idea of following Jesus, or we use this term salvation. Sometimes I think we make it a whole lot more complicated than what it needs to be. When Jesus just says, I want you to follow me. Now, a lot of times we even, you know, I grew up in a, in a setting where it was very formulaic. In fact, here's what we needed to do. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to pray this prayer. And I don't really have a problem with that. But that prayer is only indicative of the idea that I am choosing to follow Jesus. But sometimes we've made that prayer the big thing. And I, I don't know how many times, in, 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 uh, especially in my past, I led people in the sinner's prayer who never became Jesus' disciples. The, the simple truth is Jesus is looking for people who are willing to follow him. Now, understanding that, there's something that comes with that. But it's really simple, actually. Just follow Jesus. And if you come this morning and you're just exploring this whole faith thing, it's this simple. Will you follow Jesus? We need to understand how simple faith really is and how simple faith can be. Well, the next thing that we see here is what Matthew did. Matthew got up and followed him. And if you read this story in Luke, it says that Matthew forsook all. He, he walked away from his profession. He walked away from, from the table there where he's collecting taxes. He, he walked away from his old life, and he said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. He left behind the tax collector life. He left behind the depend-on-yourself life. He left behind the look-out-for-number-one life, which he was pretty good at. He also left behind the secure life. He left behind the financially stable life. He left behind the this is where all my friends are life. He left behind the this is the only thing I've ever known life. He left all of that behind so that he could follow Jesus. Now this invitation is simple. Follow me. The decision? Not so much. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, that means that we're going to leave this and we're going to go here. And that's the invitation that comes to all of us. And that's a hard decision, but that's the decision that Matthew makes. But that's not the only thing that he did. So first of all, he followed Christ. But secondly, look what he does here in verse number 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. What does Matthew do? He throws a party. Matthew throws a party. Now, the question is, who's on the invite list? So, on the invite list to Matthew's party are his co-workers, which are all a bunch of swindlers, and then his friends that were known as disreputable sinners. So this is a pretty rough crowd. So it's not like he's, you know, inviting the, 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 you know, the upper echelons of society. He, he's kind of, he's, he's bringing in, you know, the, the people off the streets and the people that are kind of living rough and whatever. He says, hey, come to a party. But he's not done with his invite list because who else gets invited? Jesus 
and his disciples, who really didn't live like these guys over here. It wasn't like they were all the same. And they all get invited to this party. Well, if I'm hosting a party, that's kind of a funny invite list. Because there's going to be a little bit of tension, don't you think? If all these guys that walk in there who are really some rough characters, and, and, uh, and I mean, all the different things that they're talking about in the conversation and, and the language and all of that, and then walk the other, the other door here is Jesus and disciples, and I'm like, I wonder if even it's like Jesus' disciples, and it doesn't tell us this, I'm just surmising, it's like, oh, I didn't know they were going to be here. And they kind of back into a corner like, mm, this is going to be awkward. And you can kind of like maybe sense that there could be some tension in the room. Although I don't think there was, because somehow Jesus walked into that party, and you know what he saw? He saw a bunch of people who had names and who had needs. And when you see people with names and with needs, it starts to change the equation. But Matthew has invited these two groups, and they come to meet each other. But the key word, what I just said there, is Matthew had invited them to come. And invited them to come to a party, which to me is actually pretty interesting. But he didn't do any more than just invite. I mean, maybe he had to, maybe there were some decorations, I don't know. Maybe he had to pick up the chicken on the way, I don't know. But there wasn't much to do. He was just trying to get them together. So what was going on here is Matthew was leveraging his connections. So Matthew was in this life over here. He left it behind, and he followed Jesus. But you know what he refused to leave behind is the people who were in it with him. And he followed Jesus, and he looked back and said, oh, wait a minute, they need to come too. And he went back after them, and his plan was this simple. Hey, come to a party, guys, because I want you to meet who I'm following now. And he leverages his connections from the past. Now, what happens to us? When we follow Jesus, it changes us. It changes what we live for. It changes our priorities. It changes our values. But it actually changes who we are. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us. And we start to feel uncomfortable with people that we used to hang out in the past. Like, I'm not like that person anymore. And I start to feel uncomfortable. And you know what we do? Is we realize, like, ah, those aren't really my people anymore. And we find new people over here. And it's understandable. And it's like the people that are sitting in this room here, and we feel a whole lot more comfortable because, you know what, we believe the same things now, and we're pursuing the same things now. And little by little, we lose connection with those people. And I get it, but these are people with names, and these are people with needs, and you are the connection point between that person and Jesus. And I often would say this and would encourage this. You know, when a person comes to Christ and you're like, you know, don't lose track of your friends. Because those people are in your life and, and Jesus wants to be in their life. So how do we connect them? And I would also say this too. As we, I mean, it's going to happen when, when you come to church and you make your friends this way. I get it. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this. But I think we have to be intentional about staying connected to people who don't know Jesus. And that's hard. Now, maybe you get to work with people like that. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure everybody that I work with is a Jesus follower. 
I have my doubts about Mark because he's leaving us, okay? But no, I don't have my doubts. But we need to be intentional about those people. So here's a question for you. Who do you know that doesn't know? Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? So first of all, you could be thinking in your mind, oh, wait, maybe it's my neighbor, maybe it's this person. Or we could say, that, you know, asking that question, we can answer it in different ways, like, how could I find somebody to know who doesn't know Jesus? So I want to show you something that we do here with our, our kids at, at InterVarsity. That really answers this question here. And we just asked them to do what we call network mapping. And so on, on this chart here, we ask them to draw a circle and put their name in the circle or put me in the circle or, you know, I could put you in the circle, whatever like that. This is you. But then we ask them to do this. And I want to ask you to do the same thing here as you're, as you're following along with me, is to think through who your spheres of influence are. So like over here, this is for a student, okay? Like, who do I have a lab with, all right? Or maybe this is like, I'm in this, you know, maybe I'm in the, uh, there's a club there at, at OCC that, we, that, that, that also exists, it's called Ignite. And he's like, okay, like I'm in this, I'm in this student org here, right? I have this lab, or maybe I'm gonna take this, this class here. Or, or maybe there's somebody that you went to high school with that's also in, in school here. But where are your spheres of influence? And we're just talking about you know, campus students here. And then what we do is we start to say, okay, who's in lab with you? Okay, Jeff's in lab with you. Okay, Marie's in lab with you. Okay, um, Scott's in lab with you. Um, or who, who's in class with you? Uh, um, you know, Roger's in class with you. Or, or uh, Mary's in class with you. And to start to identify these. And, and we do this as an exercise. I sit there with a, a piece of paper. And you know what's kind of crazy? Is how many names you can put on that piece of paper. Well, that's great for students, but that's also great for us too. Because, see, there's this party going on that we need to invite people to. And we have these, so maybe it's not the person who's in class with you, but maybe it's the person who lives next door. So, so maybe that person is, you know, Eric. Or maybe that, that person is Lauren. Or maybe that person is Drew. Or, you know, maybe it's not the person that's in lab, but maybe it's the person that, that I work with. Or maybe it's not the person in this club, but maybe it's this club that you go and, and join for the, very, for, for the reason of meeting other people. For, for years, I played in a soccer league in South Bend back when I still had knees that, that worked right. I like soccer, but I also played in this club because I wanted to meet people who didn't know Jesus. And so, did I have huge opportunities with that? No, but, you know, Doug came to church with me, and, and uh, when Jason got married, he came and asked me and wanted me to do the service, and so I got to sit down and, and talk to him about faith. But we start to, we can actually create spaces and spheres of influence, and then we can, so there is Jason, and there is Doug. But this is the idea here is how do we create connections? And this is what we call, again, network mapping. 
We identify sphere and we identify people and then we pursue new spheres. And the, the, the point here is this. We need to be conscious of those people who need an invite. Even better, we need to be connected to those people who need an invite. And we are, in most cases. And if we're not, we can be. So let's go back to the story. Let's see what Jesus did next. He's been invited to a party with pretty sketchy people. What did he do? He went. Some people were like, well, there were people there in the story. Like, you just went and hung out with those people? Yeah, he did. Did they corrupt him? No, they didn't. But that was the fear, right? Or did they, did they define him? Actually, no, they didn't. But he capitalized on the opportunity. I think he also capitalized in this setting. You know, it's, it's, it's not all that intimidating to go to a party. It might be intimidating to go to the synagogue, or it might be intimidating to go to the church. But, you know, you can go to the party. And maybe that's not as intimidating because, you know what, they're just sitting around a table and they're just sitting telling stories and they're sitting eating and there's just camaraderie that's built and it's like, oh, you know what, you're kind of like us. And so there's an encouragement to us in this idea of just in the party that it's a great setting. And we don't see any indication here that Jesus was even uncomfortable, but what we do know is that Jesus was about redeeming stories. And so when Jesus went to that party, I'm sure part of the reason to go to that party was to rub shoulders with people whose stories needed to be redeemed. And so we need to intentionally pursue relationships with those who are outsiders, with those who are not seated at the table, as we've called it. And as I mentioned before, this wasn't the only time. In fact, we see this often in Jesus' life is that he was intentional about rubbing shoulders with the world around him. And I share this because this is one of the things that, that we need to be about as a church. We need to be concerned about our neighbors. We need to be concerned about the people that we work with. And we need to be concerned about teachers at the local school that we support. And we need to be concerned about the, the waiters and waitresses that might uh, wait on us at restaurants. And we need to be concerned about the people that are in, in the, the, uh, the club with us. Because they're people with needs and people with names. But, but we don't have to make it harder than what it is. We just have to give them an invite. And we can invite them to a church service. That'd be great. And maybe that's like, oh, they wouldn't want to do that. Okay, then invite them to like something like a cafe night or invite them to like a fall festival that's maybe a little bit more like just a party. Or maybe you could do this. You can even just throw a party yourself and invite the neighbors to come to your house. These are the different, or, you know, invite the, the co-workers to sit around the table at lunch. It, it's, it's pretty simple. It's intimidating. I get that, but it's pretty simple. When we get to the towards the end of the story here, and we see what the Pharisees asked. And they, they asked, why does your teacher eat with such scum? They thought that the sinners defiled them and that the sinners would define him and that his spirituality was actually suspect. In other words, Jesus, how can you be righteous and hang out with such riffraff? And Jesus' answer is like, you know what, you guys, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's like, I'm going there for them because I care about them, and I'm going with that perspective. And we need to have this perspective. We need to realize that we can't really know the heart of God until we care about the souls of men. See, Jesus had to go to that party. Why? Because 
God cared about the people at that party. And we need to care about the people who are around us. And then we finish up by seeing what Jesus said to the Pharisees and in the process said it to us. When Jesus heard that, he said, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. What a great line. Like, um, I'm a doctor, so I go to the hospital. And that's what I'm here to do. You, you know, we don't wait for every, you know, when you go to the hospital, they're not, they're not looking for healthy people. My mother-in-law just had her knee replaced Thursday. You know, um, they, they don't really go in and operate on people whose knees are healthy. Like, you know what, let's give you an artificial one just in case it goes bad. You know, they wait for you, but that's what Jesus says. Like, you know what, this is why I'm here. I'm here for unhealthy people. I'm here for hurting people. I'm here for people who need a doctor. And then he added this. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Go and learn what this means. What does this mean? I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. In other words, I want you to care more about people in their needs than you do about performing your spiritual rituals. If you can go to the synagogue or the temple every week and go through your motions of religion and worship, and yet you don't care about these people over here, I'm not impressed. God's not impressed. The point is that we need to care about people. So we wrap up this story here. Matthew got an invitation. Follow me. Matthew's life was changed. He left his old life. He pursued a new one. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. It's just that simple. And maybe you need to take that step. But then... Matthew was not okay with his friends who didn't know about Jesus. So he went back and said, hey, come to my party. Or in other words, hey, why don't you follow him too? We have a party every Sunday morning. You can invite people to that. Mention other parties that we have come up. You can invite people to that. You can create your own. Whatever. The idea, though, is that we invite people. So the question, I asked it before, but let me ask it again. Who do you know? Because every person that you know should be on the invite list. And you may have to build a relationship. You may have to build some friendship, and it may take time. Sometimes it takes years, but still you make that investment so that you can make an invitation. We need to get the word out. The word is what? Everyone eats. Everybody's invited to Jesus' table. That's the ultimate party, isn't it? The ultimate party is that we come and we sit with him. But Jesus, we talked about this last week, gives us the responsibility of making the invite. But we need to invite everybody. We need to get the word out that everyone eats. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the invitation that I got to follow you. I'm thankful for the grace that you gave me to say yes to that invitation. 
There are people sitting in this room, and many of them have accepted that invitation to follow you, but maybe there are those who aren't. So I ask that question to you sitting here this morning. Are you a Jesus follower? Have you made the decision to follow you, to say, Jesus, I, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you came, died for my sin. I believe that you rose again. I want to follow you. If you ever made that decision and that commitment to Christ, you can make that this morning. Maybe you've made that decision then. The question is, who else do you know that also needs to follow? Maybe you need to sit down and do a little network mapping to, to look at something and say, okay, let's, let's see who I know here. Or maybe let's expand who I know. It's not to put a lot of pressure on you because they're not following you. It's just to give them an invite. That's it. You don't have to do any more than that. Just a simple invite. But what commitment, what decision do you need to make in that regard this morning? God, we've come and we've worshipped you today. We've worshipped you in your greatness. But we've also worshipped you in the fact that you're personal, that you care about us, that you see us as people with names and with needs. As we go from here this morning, I pray as we walk out into our spheres of influence this week that you would remind us through your spirit of the people around us who have names and who have needs. And I pray that you would empower us to be the ones who invite them to the party. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way out this morning, we'll be doing this every week. There, the ushers will be there with a handout for you. If you didn't get a magnet last week, we have more of these. The idea is to take this home, put it on your refrigerator, and then your take-it-home paper that you get every week, you can just stick that right underneath your magnet. So on my refrigerator um, last week, it said, who'd, um, what did it say? It was about being invited. Who invited you? The, the master. God invited us to the table in taking some time to relive that moment, but also the person who invited you this week, it's going to say, who do you know? And it's actually a little sample of what we just drew on the marker board here. And I would invite you and encourage you to actually do that. And it's kind of little, I admit, on the sheet of paper that you're going to get. But you can put that on your, on your refrigerator's reminder. But if you need to, grab a bigger piece of paper and, and start to do this. And you know what? If you can just find one person to invite that would be a great first step. Let's stand together. Thanks so much for coming. We're going to be talk, uh, back next week talking about everyone eats. And we're going back to the passage we looked at last week in Luke chapter 14. But now we're going to look at the first part of that next week when we all come back. You're dismissed. Have a great day. And go Lions.